The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Labs, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today are Maureen O'Connor, New York sex columnist. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. And from L.A., Allison Davis. Hey, Allison. Hey, David. Today, the foreskin. How have we never talked about this before? (laughs) We've been so negligent. Um, According to a kind of amazing story in... Some version of the New Times published in South Florida. We're not sure if it's the Broward Palm Beach New Times or the Miami New Times, or maybe they're the same thing. Um, There is a movement afoot of circumcised men actually trying to regrow their foreskins, particularly with the help of a hilariously named device called the TLC Tugger. (laughs) Uh, We're also going to be talking about post-sex blues. Apparently, whether or not you get depressed after fucking has nothing to do with how the sex was and everything to do with how miserable you are. Uh, And we're also going to be talking about post-breakup pruning, which is the term we're borrowing from the Pew Research Center, which is why it means not getting a bikini wax to celebrate new freedom, but the way teenagers edit their social media networks after splitting up with somebody. So on to our first topic, the foreskin. Allison, would you like to walk us through this eye-opening story? It's called Restoring Foreskin, and it's a South Florida group of men who are unhappy with the fact that they no longer have their foreskin, that they were circumcised at birth, and are going through the non-surgical process of trying to regenerate their foreskin, which is like, I I could not understand how this was possible, Um, but the article uh, compares it to using like a gauge in your ear to stretch your earlobe, except it's so much more painful sounding um, and like like you're just tugging little bits of skin consistently every day for like eight hours a day. For five years. Device. For five years, just to get like an inch, right? Like to get barely any foreskin. Um, I wanted to read this one excerpt that where the writer just kind of describes like how difficult it is. Um, Regenerating an inch of skin is an almost superhuman feat. A foreskin can't simply grow back like a lizard's tail. It takes one to five years of grueling stretching and a slew of strange devices. It's physically torturous and also isolating because most men take on restoring without talking to loved ones or doctors, which to me seems like a terrible idea not to consult a medical professional about this. Um, And many turn to online forums for guidance and support and most quit before reaching their goal. So they tug for years and then just just give up, which is also so heartbreaking. But is it me or is the like the worst part of this paragraph, the phrase, a lizard's tail? <laughs> you know, I have to say this writer, Jess Swanson, like knocked it out of the park with all her Amazing. metaphors. Amazing. There's another section where she describes somebody like mounting his TLC tugger to his penis. She describes it as putting a water balloon over the faucet of a sink and filling it with water, which also gave me like such visceral imagery. And I just have this image of my in my head of men like frantically tugging their wangs, like chanting, "We must, we must increase our foreskin." Like girls in a gym class trying to get their bosoms perky. I just like it. It really is a visual story. She did a great job. <laughs> Although you took you took issue with the actual lead image, which was of a turtleneck, which you thought was so easy that you then yeah. posted some alternates. I on have the to. Cut. So much respect to their art direction, but I have to say, like, when you've got the girl using the lizard's tail metaphors, you've got to up your game. (laughs) I think Allison is there for that. My favorite one, and listeners, I hope you'll go click, is like a woman pull or a man pulling homemade pizza dough. And to me, that really just got at what it looks like to pull your own foreskin back into life. 
So the craziest yeah. thing to me about this story in general is like these are guys who have already been circumcised, so they're not gonna like recover the sensitivity of their dick head, right? Like they're just right. doing it co- for cosmetic reasons, right? It's interesting to me because there's this one crazy statistic of um, a doctor who says in this article, um, he describes circumcision as cutting off one-third of the erogenous tissue on the penile shaft, the equivalent of 12 square inches in an adult, which strikes me as pretty high if I were to right. think about the amount of foreskin in an adult. But you, so you lose all those nerve endings, right? And when they're stretching it out... What some men claim is that um, once they have, you know, the foreskin back, then the head of the penis be- resensitizes because it's not being exposed to the air and the elements all the time. But you don't get those missing nerve endings back. They're just gone. Right. So is it do you think it's mostly motivated by a sense of like it looks better or like it's a something was taken from them at birth. I've been getting some somewhat angry tweets from people who are saying this is male um, genital mutilation. Like it's not, it's not a joke. This like happened to me before I could say I didn't want it to happen to me. And I feel kind of bad now, but I guess it's sort, I guess it's like, I mean, at least I understand that argument, but once you've already had it happen, how does stretching your foreskin somewhat back into shape how does that fix it's not like it undoes the mutilation part of it even if you do believe that it's mutilation the way the men in this article spoke about it it reminded me a lot of when you read stories about women who get any form of plastic surgery well women and men but you know we have fewer narratives of why men get surgery or why men alter their bodies and um because you see you know there are guys that said i want to you know i feel like i'm whole again this is the way i was supposed to be this is the like the penis the true penis inside of me that's meant to be there um i mean it's such a like limited pool of people to try to figure out does this actually make it feel better if you like stretch your foreskin back out they say they like sex better that way I mean, I don't know how how much is, you know, truly based on sensation versus cosmetics or feelings of confidence or whatnot. Totally. But you do hear women or you hear plenty of people who say, I altered my body and now I'm more confident. I like sex more. So wait, so Allison, you're saying that it doesn't make a difference to you whether a guy is circumcised or not? Oh, no, that's actually I do have a strong preference. Um, I prefer an uncircumcised male, even though I, I, I oh, now I feel so bad because I, maybe I'm the reason that so many people feel like they have to like get a TLC tugger. But I do think um, in terms of like sexual, uh, it's, it is more sensitive. So it's a little bit more fun as like a person who gets to play with the penis to have something that responds to what you do a little more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking Just for? Just a little more probably. Just a little more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it makes you feel like a, like a super sex partner. Yeah, it makes, it makes things a little easy. It's like having the yeah. bumpers at the bowling alley that you're like, I'm, I'm going to make it. This is going to work. <laughs> yeah, but now that makes me seem like I need training wheels, guys. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean it like that. That's <laughs> not what I'm saying. Um, but do you, do you have a – if I'm airing out my preference, I'm going to make you do the same mode. Do you have a preference? I don't think I really do. No, not really. What about you, David? I don't want to leave you out. <laughs> I would just, like, as somebody who is circumcised, it's always struck me as really crazy that, like, the idea of being way more sensitive just seems... <laughs> Too much? Just crazy. It would be like having, like, an open wound. <laughs> I think the other thing that reminds me 
this story that feels so sort of poignant in a way that I'm familiar with hearing women talk about like inadequacies in their bodies or things they want. And it's this sort of wondering about a thing you can't fathom that, you know, you'll hear women that are like, oh, my God, like, what would it be like to be that beautiful? I really wonder what my life would be like. And to he- to read these quotes of all these men sort of longingly thinking, well, if I had a foreskin, what would my life be like? Would it be so different? Um, I think that was sort of a like genre of male longing that I hadn't really seen depicted until this article. Yeah, it was sort of poignant until you turned the page and saw this diagram of this, <laughs> like, machine. I know, every... <laughs> <laughs> Everybody listening, you really just need to go Google this article and also Google Allison Davis Foreskin the Cut to see her wonderful blog post about it. (laughs) Just want to make sure that everybody Googles Allison Davis Foreskin. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Let's move on to our second topic, feeling shitty after sex. Such a happy day today. (laughs) God. (laughs) If I wanted to, I would completely do that, Rihanna confessed to Vanity Fair about casual hookups. But that would be empty for me. That, to me, is a hollow move. I would wake up the next day feeling like shit. To me, this is kind of an amazing confession from a pop star. Um, But besides that, a new study shows that maybe Rihanna's post-sex blues have nothing to do with the sex or how casual it is, but actually is just a sign that maybe she's miserable, generally. Maureen, do you want to tell us a little bit about that study? Sure. Um, So in the journal Sexual Medicine, there's a study from Queensland University studying female college students. They studied about 200 women, and they found that about half of them said they had at some point experienced what they called postcoital dysphoria, defined as a sense of melancholy or depression, anxiety, agitation, or aggression following sexual intercourse, um, at least once in their lives. And 2% of them, which is about 1 in 50, said they experienced it always or most of the time. 5%, um, about 1 in 20, said they had experienced it in about the last month. So not, like, overwhelmingly common, but not totally infrequent either. What they found interesting was that there was actually no relationship or correlation between women who experienced the after-sex blues and the level of intimacy with the guy, whether, you know, like one night stand, boyfriend, the where the relationship was, that didn't correlate with whether or not they felt bad about sex afterwards. It actually basically just came down to factors about their own self-esteems, their own, the way they viewed themselves sexually, how sort of self-confident they were and issues like that. Do you agree though, like that these kinds of um, like hookup benders can make you feel shittier than, than like more shitty than empowered, like poor Rihanna, who again also rocked my perception of Rihanna. I don't know. It was interesting. They um, they referred to this concept called differentiation of self, which is a psychological concept that basically refers to how well you view yourself, like you know your own values, you know your the things that make you you. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said when people have a low differentiation of self, that affected their relationship sometimes. So, for instance, if you're trying to get your sense of self out of the people you're hooking up with, or if, you know, you're trying to get something for yourself from a hookup, then that creates anxiety afterwards. So in that sense, I mean, if you're on a hookup bender with the hope of finding something specific and you don't, that would probably feel like a bummer afterwards. I feel like this is all this kind of like practice mindfulness when you have lots of hookups or when, as you approach your hookups. And, and then that's like the key to everything, this mindfulness. <laughs> it's simultaneously like when I'm thinking of whether certain news makes me happy or sad, it makes me happy to find out that it's not just like, oh, you had a no strings attached hookup and now you're sad. That was like, phew, good. So glad to know there's cor- no correlation there. But on the other hand, there's something so like annoyingly obvious about the like, love yourself first. And I was like, right. oh, geez, I'm sick of hearing people say that too. 
That seems to be what the study is saying. It also just seems weird to like to put yourself in the shoes of the other person in the hookup. Like you've made out, you've done it, you fucked, and then like the other person's like super feeling super shitty, and you're like not supposed to take that seriously. Yeah, that feel that does feel very sad. The thing that um, I mean, what's missing here is that these studies, as so many academic research does, rely on college students and the experiences of you know like nineteen year old college girls has got to be a little bit different, particularly when it comes to, you know, finding your sense of self and totally. your sense of self sexually. Yeah. Do you guys know anybody who have who has had this sort of uh, chronically that is like one of these people who might feel it every time after? I do have a few friends that like will start using dating apps just for sex or start like really aggressively trying to pursue like no strings attached sex. And then at the like at the end of a spree, they're always kind of like, oh, I feel terrible. Or I feel so like, like all of that doesn't make me feel so scooped out. Um, oh, scooped and out. The, yeah. And the, the, like, they're, they're never really sure why, because it's like, but I just got a lot of ass. Like I should be like on cloud nine, but I just feel like very sad, um, which is such a bummer to hear. In my experience, the only time I feel sad after sex is if I'm really hungover and I'm just like, <laughs> hangover blues, you know? That to me, when I think of like, what's the correlation of waking up the next morning and feeling bummed out? Um, I'd say it's not the sex, but maybe like if I'm having a bunch of no strings attached sex, I'm probably going out and drinking too at the same time. Yeah. So I would question what what correlations we're, we're finding here. Yeah, also, like, it? how clean is someone's apartment? If I wake up in someone's really dirty apartment, it makes me sadder than I would be otherwise. Oh, my God. So true. Like, you wake <laughs> up with, like, a, like, navy blue boy bed sheet next to, like, a like clattering air conditioner. Oh, that's Ugh. a bad scene. So sad. You, you wait before central AC. <laughs> that I do. Anything that transports you to, like, an apartment, apartments of the past mm-hmm. feels kind of bad. But when you're like, this is, like, a great, beautiful future Maureen could lie in this bed. Right. That'd feel good. Now let's move on to our last subject, post-breakup pruning. A recent study from the Pew Research Center showed that among teenagers who'd just been through a breakup, 48% reported deleting their ex's number from their phone, 38% untagged and deleted couples photos, 37% have blocked an ex on social media, and 30% have blocked an ex from texts. Allison wrote a great piece about it on The Cut, and the first question I want to ask is, do you, do you guys do this? Like, do you immediately after edit down... Yes, absolutely. What? Yeah, I would not totally. have expected that from you, Allison. I no, I know. And I I sometimes I regret it, but I think for the most part, like I do an immediate purge. And it's almost like vindictive at the speed with which I do it. Like the door closes and I'm like, delete all of you from my computer and my social media history. Um So what kind of material are you purging? I uh I cut off Facebook ties. I Sometimes cut by which, by which you mean direct to the person or like anybody you have in common, you'll also sever those ties? Uh, it depends on like the degree of friendship. Like normally it's like, will I end up seeing that my ex pop up on someone's Facebook feed that I'm going to probably defriend them or like mute wow. them very seriously. Wow. But then there's like... This is this, ruthless. Oh, I know. I But then I can't stick to it is my problem. That I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And then three days later, I'll like refriend them. Oh, which is, no. <laughs> can't do that. Like you have to be, you have to stick to your guns if you're going to be ruthless. But I do think it helps with the healing process not to be surrounded by like their day to day or who they're talking to or who they've um, 
like recently friended or you see them on Instagram. Like it just, for me, it made it so much easier to just live in a black hole. And then sometimes I'll just remove myself from social media too for a, a period of time. So I'm not tempted to use like alternate backdoor stalking. Do you delete phone numbers and text histories too? Yeah, I do. Um, but you know, what's funny. Apple now, because it's so seamlessly synced between like your iPhone and your computer and like your i whatever Apple products you have, it has become so much harder to completely prune, if that's like the term we're using, to completely get someone <laughs> off of your phone. I like still three years after my last relationship and finding like little things that I thought I deleted from one part of the cloud that pop up on my phone. Or like for a while, I couldn't get an autocomplete out of my text messages. Oh, and that was like, that was the worst. I, it was so heartbreaking. I think I, I was once texting Maureen and like, a, like his pet name popped up and I started crying. And I was like, this is terrible. Technology is the oh. worst. Which is why I'm in full support of the total prune. Just like get rid of it all. This is so crazy. I never delete anything to the point that I refuse to even delete Tinder because I want to have all my past flirtations saved somewhere. Even though I'm not going to like go looking through them, I just like to know that I have like my entire past is available to me in case I want to, I don't know what I, in case what, so I can look at it, I guess. For the memoir or something? Like I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just really crazy about never, I just don't like getting rid of things if I don't have to. I'm also like a hoarder physically too. I think there might okay. be something about that instinct of like never let it go. So it's not about like researching future columns or something. I don't think so, because I do believe in getting things out of my way. I don't think it's about that. But you know what? I think that's why the column worked out so well, that I had always always been a hoarder. Yeah, totally. To like, I think one of the most like brutal fights I've ever had with a friend was that I was like, you can't do your G-Chess off the record with me. And she's like, but I don't want to like be on your record. And I was like, but if you're my friend, you'll let me remember. And this is my brain. Google. Um... But you know what's funny? I feel like I would keep like a box of handwritten letters or photos or something like people used to have to do before Facebook. Oh my God, but who, what kind of person is going to write you a handwritten letter? That's well, no one now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I do believe there's the funniest thing was that very recently I had to go find um, some email from an ex boyfriend and I like searched his name and it popped up like, like, 30 like so many emails that were unread that I was like what and then I remember that when we broke up he had been emailing me so much that I made a mail rule to sort everything that came from him into like one folder like that I would never ever have to look at and then I realized that like so much stuff that also like wasn't actually from him that just like got caught in my like imperfect anti-boyfriend filter was all (laughs) there saved but I felt like it was like kind of sickly satisfying to see it all there and not look at it but just knowing that it's there. I, If I were you, I would have totally read it. It's like, what a little novel you're reading to like him <laughs> writing all these emails that never got responded to. I and like gradually of... progressing from like one kind of like sweet entreaty to probably like anger and, you know. To see like the full like, like, ra- like. The trajectory. The tra- yeah. yeah. His his grief cycle and totally. his rage. Um, No, I started doing it, but then it was like really emotionally taxing. So I walked away. But, you know, maybe when I get home, I'm going to go back to that. Yeah. I know this one girl who, when she's dating, not even breaking up, but she deletes her text threads after, like, every time that she, like, will text a guy for five minutes, she'll delete the whole thread as soon as she's done. So that the only thing that exists is, like, her memory as though she's talking on the phone with him or something, Um, which strikes me as, like, monomaniacal. It's crazy. So I was bugging her to figure it out. And the surface level is that it's to, like, stop her from obsessing. That, like, if she doesn't see his name, she won't keep thinking about him. She won't go and reread the text or whatever. But the outcome actually leads to her being, like, so sort of, like, such a baller or I don't even know how to describe it because 
consistently a guy will be like, why didn't you tell me or like, didn't you already promise me that we were going to do this? And she'll be like, I don't know what you were talking about and take a screen grab and be like, I never got that text because <laughs> she personally deleted it. But also that would that would be like such a burden on your memory. I feel like I couldn't remember anything without AIDS. <laughs> I know. But I think the point is that she wants to think about the guy less than he thinks about her and using her like phone right. as a proxy almost forces it. Power play. Yeah, it's totally a power move. I know. I feel like that's really in the end. All of this, like, to keep so, like texts or emails or to not is all about getting power, right? Or it's all a power play, right? If I delete your memory, then I'm in the power position to never have to think about you again. Um, but is it not also about- powerful to say I've still got you sitting on my Tinder, but I'm just not going to talk to you or open it? I am not that weak. No, you are the most powerful, Maureen. It's I have true. self-control. I'm going to look at my giant folder of all your emails, and I still don't care. <laughs> and how to like how does sex and how does sex play into it? Like, if I, aren't you aren't you in power if you have sex from someone rather than deleting them? Oh yeah, but who's gonna? I can't blackmail someone. Is that what you're you're suggesting we do? Save the sex to well, blackmail. you don't you don't have to get it all the way to blackmail, but just the possibility <laughs> that you might means that like you're you're holding something. I don't know. You're holding some control. You know, I think this strikes me as um the like evil male version is that like oh I'm gonna keep like her body and I own it. But um to me, I feel there's so much more power to like eh yeah you sent me your dick. <laughs> Like, I'm never going to look at that again. Right. I don't know. It's in some Throw corner in of trash. my iCloud. I don't even know where it is, but it's somewhere. Right. Dick means so little to me. <laughs> it's here somewhere, but I'm not going to look at it or touch it. So I do want to talk to these people who downloaded this app, which I, I mentioned to you, Mo, uh, oh, yeah, called yeah. Shrine. Yeah, which like goes through all of your um, social media accounts and your emails and like packages up all of your interactions with your person um, in this really easy to access app so you can just like say i want to look at all of my emails from my ex and it's all right there for you because this app has made you a little sad scrapbook which to me sounds just like such torture i don't know why anyone would want that but people do it's so like do the you- creepy stalker ex-boyfriend app shrine like i'd like to make a shrine of the girl that just dumped me and stare right. at it is there does it like it puts it all like into the little app does that mean it also removes it from the other places Yes, which I guess is kind of good, right? Because So I guess you're like, I want to delete, but I might want to go look through it. I might have a memoir need for this later. I'll right. put it in it's my kind shrine. Of like the archive. So maybe it's a little bit healthier than I'm I'm assuming. Uh, but it's definitely weird. It's definitely built like <laughs> to deal with breakups. It's not like, well, my like dead grandfather, I wanna like have everything from him in one place or like a relationship that's ongoing, I wanna like store all that in one place. It's definitely for people you're trying to forget. It's to preserve your relationship history. So you make of that what you will. But I feel like most people, if it's like a happy relationship or one they want to revisit or be present in, then they don't need to remove it from the things they're accessing every day anyway. You know, like I don't need to hide all of my emails from somebody that I'm happily talking to. Um, They're still easy enough to find if I just search their name in Gmail. So organizing your relationship history for you kind of like puts it in a little box somewhere where you have to choose to look at it or not. And like, it's like hiding a memory in a way. I don't know. It's like akin to me having like a photo hanging on my fridge versus me hiding it in a box in the back of my closet. Right. A shrine. It's like the name just makes it creepy. You imagine some like (laughs) Oh, but they spelled it with a Y, didn't they? Yeah. Somehow makes it even creepier. I don't know why. I feel like that is very dangerous. One of the um, most intense interventions I've seen is that this friend of mine, a guy after a breakup, scrolled to the very top of a two years of text messages to start reading at the top 
and like to scroll that far up is like impossible oh on an iPhone. I know it take forever. The level of as soon as he said that, that everyone was like, "Oh my god, oh shit!" Like <laughs> things are wrong and reread. It took him like a week to reread it all too. Why would you do that? I know. See, so like those people should never have shrines. No, those are the people but- that like they need someone like you, Allison, to show up and just delete it for them. And it's Maybe gone. I should I should build that as a service now, like a side hustle. I'll yeah. come delete everything from your computer for you. Yeah. So we've been talking about post breakup pruning and Allison's future as like a eternal sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's it for Sex Lives. Our producer is Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Zach Dinerstein, Henry Malowski, and Laura Mayer at Panoply. For Maureen O'Connor and Allison Davis, I'm David Wallace Wells. We'll talk to you next time and thanks for listening.